Hi everybody, I have Matt Rand back with me for episode 5 of season 7. Hi Matt. Hi Catherine, how are you, how are you keeping? I'm alright, as everyone can probably tell though, I am absolutely chocker full of cold. So everybody have to forgive me, we are going to keep this as a, a short episode, maybe people will like that as a bit of a difference, I won't ramble as much as usual. Um, but but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm planning to get through it, I've got a coffee to hand, I've got tissues to hand and a mute button whenever I need to cough. How are you doing Matt? <laughs> oh dear! Um, I shouldn't laugh, really. I do apologise. Um, <laughs> it was it was the pause button that got me. Uh, not, <laughs> not too bad. I, I had a bit of an incident earlier on in the week where I ended up at A and E for for the whole morning, which was a bit annoying. Bear in mind, I'm today tomorrow. Um, and uh, as usual with people's last weeks before they go on holiday, it was chocker. Yeah. So I managed to. But having said that, the NHS, um, even though the junior doctors were on a strike. Uh, and picketing outside the hospital where I was um, were absolutely fantastic. And it's not the first time um, that I've heard that from various people who have ended up in A&E. They yeah. Were so, so thank you, NHS. And then yesterday, just to cap my week, my uh, my car needed over a £1,000 worth of uh, un, uh, totally unexpected repairs. So um, I'm having one of those weeks. I'm You're having one of those weeks, but... All we do is everybody, we have our fingers crossed that the holiday gets going without any issues. Well, it's going to rain, Catherine. Oh, oh well, that's the number three. So there we go. There's the three. We said before, didn't we? There's three things. So we've had the arm cut, we've had the expensive car, and now it's going to rain on holiday. So that means that everything else is going to be wonderful. What can I say? absolutely you did did ask didn't you about my week so i did i did oh bless you okay then so today we're going to be talking about ovarian cancer and what it can mean for your protection insurance applications this is the practical protection podcast So we're back to going to like in a deep dive of things. So I'm going to give a little bit of background in terms of ovarian cancer, not too intensely, because so, we really want to get into the main things with Matt and how we understand that in terms of the insurances. And then I have a little case study for us to go through at the end. So in terms of um, ovarian cancer, it mostly affects women over the age of 50, but it can be diagnosed at any age. And the greatest risk is actually between the ages of 75 and 79. The symptoms that people can experience, they can be very, very varied, but a common one is potentially bloating. And the difficulty is with ovarian cancer, it's not always obvious um, when it is happening and it can often be diagnosed quite late. And when we're saying quite late, that means that the cancers maybe had chance to become what we see, say, more a bit a bit bigger, a bit stronger, um, and that we'd want to have maybe got it out um, as soon as, as we can, as with any cancer. It can be linked as well, ovarian cancer, to certain things um, that can make us more likely for being diagnosed with this. So that would be what's known as the BRCA gene, endometriosis, diabetes, being overweight, and also breast and bowel cancer can potentially make it more likely for us to be to be diagnosed with it. So, Matt, I know I've just given some information, some statistics there, but can you give us a, a good sort of background about ovarian cancer, please? Because I think some people as well, and I, know, I, th- I think probably, I, I was going to say I'm going to stereotype here, and that's, that's probably very naughty of me, but I think probably men will probably think, well, it's cancer down there. And that's probably the 
the gist of what a man would probably think about, I imagine, because obviously there's wound cancer, there's cervical cancer, and even sometimes those differentiations, especially with family medical history, can make a really big difference in terms of the options that somebody can get in terms of their insurances going forward. So, so can you explain it for us, please? Yeah, certainly. I know I can go through the, the types of ovarian cancer and also um, mention the fact that uh, ovarian cancer can actually start off in the fallopian tubes. Oh, yes. Um, so obviously that's not within the ovary itself, but the, the treatments and the follow-ups uh, for, for ovarian cancer, which start in the fallopian tubes, is, is very, very similar. I'd just like to add something um to to the to the bloating uh, symptom, I think one of the things that um, you know, if anybody asks me, I suppose amongst friends and family um, about bloating and so on and so forth, I, I would say that with the ladies, particularly um, be aware of lower abdominal pain and particularly pain, but bloating as well that doesn't necessarily or continues when you're not having your period. Okay, yeah. I think that the two pains can be, sorry, the cause of the pain and the bloating can get a bit mixed up between between those ladies who are having their periods and not. If it continues when you're not having your period, then maybe it's a time to maybe just make that call to the doctor. Um, yeah, I suppose that's quite difficult as well because you know when we're talking about the average age around the age of 50, potential, we've got menopause coming in and that can play absolute Havoc, Havoc yeah. on symptoms and regularity of periods and the discomfort yeah. and everything. So, so yeah, I think, you know, what you're saying, you know, it's, it's that probably that persistence, you know, there's, there's just no let up whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I would, I would just really throw that in as a, I would probably mention that myself to, to friends and family, if indeed anybody did ask, I would have to say. Um, okay, as I've said, the uh, ovarian cancer um, doesn't necessarily start in the ovaries themselves. Um, it can uh, start in the fallopian tube. And also um, there is something called primary peritoneal cancer. Now, peritoneum is a, a, a thin tissue sac that contains all the internal organs yeah. of the body. And um, cancer can start there as well. And they're kind of all broadly grouped um, into the ovarian cancer uh, category. And the, the actual types, like, like all cancers, uh, doctors, uh, oncologists, cancer specialists, in other words, mm. um, will will try and define them and break them down um, to really define the treatment, the plan that is needed, um, and from that the prognosis as well. Yeah. So, in terms of uh, of ovarian types of cancer, um, they they tend to be named after types of cells where they start from. Okay. So, you have epithelial cell ovarian cancer and that's yeah. the, that is where cancer is uh, starting on the surface layer of the ovary i suppose the clue there is epithelial yeah. um, and that accounts for 90 percent of all ovarian tumors and this is the one that particularly impacts generally of course i have to speak generally uh, for women over the age of 50 then you've got two um less common bear in mind we've already covered 90 percent mm. one is called germ cell ovarian cancer and that's where the uh the cells cancer cells develop um in the egg itself um and that counts for about one in 20 and that's the one that usually impacts younger women yeah and then finally 
these there's a stromal cell carcinoma which is uh, kind of the, the cells that make up it impacts the cells that make up the very core very center point of the ovary itself again about one in 20 but that that can impact uh, ladies of any age you see that yeah. in young or old um but that, the the fact that 90 percent of ovarian tumors of are epithelial and they're usually impacting the woman over the age of 50 kind of highlights the point that you made earlier about the old the older ladies yes um in terms of i was going to kind of jump on to the staging here now staging is something that if, if uh, and I believe from recent statistics, there are a lot of people who, who um, come back to listen to the various podcasts. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've talked about the types of ovarian cancer. But um, again, the treatment and the prognosis um, will also come from the staging of the cancer. And this kind of covers something, Catherine, a little bit later on. In fact, you might want to introduce this as a topic a little bit later on in our conversation. But I was just going to say that we have cancer staging one to four, one being the has the best prognosis, four having the worst. Yeah. And I was going to maybe talk a little bit about that, in ter- maybe later, in terms of what underwriters specifically look for in order to uh, determine what terms will apply. Shall I cover that a little bit later? Do you think absolutely, so? absolutely. Okay. Um, now, again, something which may be mentioned later on, but I think that it's, it's worth it links in. I think to uh, to what I was just saying is that um, effectively, ovarian cancer and the BRCA gene, again, which you mentioned already, um, are, are linked. Not not, uh, all ovarian cancers, but it's it's interesting to note that 20%, maybe a few more percentage points above that of all ovarian cancers are because of a genetic mutation. And and that is the highest amongst the the, the most common cancers. Uh, For instance, I can throw more statistics saying that uh, overall 5 to 10% of cancers are linked to a known inherited gene mutation, but 20 to 25% of ovarian cancers are hereditary. So again, you you know, when you look at uh, at the way that underwriters will look at this, family history is very important. Now, there are numerous, I say numerous, that's probably a little bit unfair overstating the position, and there are a number of uh, mutations um, that are linked with ovarian cancer, but certainly the the most common, again, as you stated, is the BRCA one and two. They're the mm. most common. And just to again restate, and sorry if I sound like a stuck record on on mentioning some of these facts again. No, not at all. BRCA one and BRCA two um, are in fact tumor suppressive genes. That's what they, that's their job within the body. If I can bring it down to, to lay, lay people's language. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're effectively responsible for producing the proteins that repair the damaged DNA. Okay. And that stops um, um, or it keeps abnormal cells, cell growth in check. So if there is something wrong with the repair gene, the suppressor gene, then it doesn't do its job properly, then you're going to get more abnormal cells floating around the body and developing, um, causing a, a cancer in the first place and obviously metastatic cancer later on. So these BRCA1 and BRCA2 are 
very very important um, genes and if there is a mutation in that they don't work properly then you may somebody may have a problem later on it's yeah not, as we spoke last week about family history and not last week sorry last session about uh, writing session about family history there's all types of other things that come into this but um it, it's certainly not very helpful let, let me put it that way um I would also just say, uh, again, uh, maybe restating what we said recently, but BRCA is also linked with with breast cancer. I think that's a pretty well-known one, um, well-documented in media. Um, But as well, as as of course, BRCA is also linked to prostate, pancreatic, prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer, and melanoma as well. Um, So... That's where we are in terms of types of ovarian cancer. Was there anything that kind of sprung from that that you'd like, like, like to quiz me on, Catherine? Or no, I think no, I think that's really good. I think it really helps because I think as well, you know, as advisors, you know, we can hear stuff like ovarian cancer, and you know, obviously, generally, that's probably that's probably enough to first go on. But as you say, you know, there are different types as well. And, you know, they can potentially end up with different outcomes. They could have potentially had slightly different treatments to them. So, you know, it's it's good to know and to hear the, the wording that can sometimes come along with the word ovarian cancer. Because if you're not familiar with medical terms and someone suddenly says, you know, epithelial ovarian cancer, some, something like that, it's yeah. you're kind yeah. of thinking, what now? You know, you, you can be really, really thrown by it and trying to figure out how to spell it and it can feel a bit flustered by it. So I think that's really, really useful. Thank you. I think the staging, the staging of the cancer, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, yeah. but that hopefully give um, our listeners a, 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 a better insight into in terms of the, um, the, the underwriting treatment. But yeah, okay, that's good. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the underwriter then, Matt, so I know what we're going to go on to here. We are going to go into that staging and grading and the different things such as timing and stuff like that. But what is it? You know, if I were to come to you and say, Matt, I have some of the variant cancer, I'd like to be able to have you underwrite them for potentially life insurance, critical illness, anything like that. What do you need to know? So what would be the things you'd, you might, my bullet point list of things to go and find out from the client? Okay, the, uh, the 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 first thing, without any shadow of a doubt, and you will find this with all cancers. Let's be honest about it. But we're talking about ovarian cancer today, and that is, as what you say, is staging. Now, this is a um, all cancers are staged if, obviously, the pathologist in this particular case um, has the information and has, has looked at the um, uh, the, the, the biopsy uh, slides and, um, and decided on the outcome. Now, yeah. absolute worst case scenario in terms of the information, and this is this is commonly held information. Some, in my opinion, I think you'll probably be uh, far more in tune with, than I am. Um, but most people will have an idea at a high level of what their staging of their cancer is. You may violently disagree with that. Um, that's a tricky one because uh, yeah I thought you might say that (laughs) yeah it really is because obviously sometimes we get TNM scores so that's Tango November Mike scores instead and um, I often tend to find as well that people know the staging but they don't know the grading I do find that quite often so people you know they tend to know it was stage two they'll know that number very very quickly Um, sometimes I have where people say oh it was grade this and I think I wonder if they're actually thinking 
that it was grave, but it's actually was staging because I think that's the, the number that people usually really hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think another thing as well that people can, that we can find, and this, I was going to say, this did really surprise me when I first started advising. And, and now I'm, I'm surprised that I was ever surprised by it. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, um, but people compartmentalize as well. And some people will say to you, I've had this cancer. And then sometimes they literally, they, they don't have that information because yeah, they've just yeah. tried to keep it. They're over it in a sense. There's behind them. It was a obviously horrible time for them. And so they, they try to not remember those things. So actually asking them to go for it can be quite an emotional thing. Um, but it's, you know, as an advisor, it's just really important to make sure you position it in a way that, you know, you don't want to upset them. You, you know, you don't want to be causing them any distress by finding that information, but ultimately without the staging and the grading, you're anywhere, I mean, I'm not saying this specifically for ovarian cancer, but with cancer generally, you can pretty much say, well, it's anywhere from potentially normal terms through to a decline. There's there's just no knowing unless we have that staging and grading there, as well as the other things that you're going to mention as well, Matt. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, I have to say. But as I said, I um, certainly bow to your experience on, on that one. Um, okay, so staging one to four. One um, uh, is is where the cancer itself is is contained, uh, if you like, locally to the uh, its originating site, and four um, is where the cancer cells have, have spread around the body effectively and and, and started to invade um, yeah. other organs. Now, it has substages, which is what you were talking about in terms of grades and so on and so forth, and substages are A, A one, A two, B, and C. Sorry, yeah. um, and I think that's the bit where people probably may not remember particularly. Yes. Um, one to four, maybe some people will, but you know an advisor, if somebody comes to you and they've said they've had stage four cancer, um, then terms have been pretty hard to get. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking 30 or 40 years ago. I'm kind of like talking in the last 10 to 15 years, depending yeah. on the type of cancer it is. Okay. So... Yeah, it's very, very hard if someone's stage four. Right? You know, we generally we do tend to 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 see that. Um, so somebody I spoke to it was last year. They'd had lung cancer, not lung cancer. They'd had oh, I think it was non-Hodgkin lymphoma ten years yeah. ago at stage four, and that was just there was just nobody. Um, mm. in in the personal routes, there was nobody prepared to um, look at life insurance for them, unfortunately. But there are options for people listening there are sometimes options it does depend upon the way that we can access the insurance the routes that we would go down insurance wise um but as you say that the higher the staging the more the more tricky it can be to get the insurances um the more expensive it does tend to be but a big thing that um that we do and um that i do say to people because i've had somebody recently brought to me for um for they'd had um esophageal I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. Um, cancer. Yeah, 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 that one. Um, at stage three a couple of years ago. And again, everywhere is pretty much a, a, a no, but there's one that's maybe, and it's, you know, potentially very, 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 very expensive. And it's that case of if you do get something like that or you're wondering about it, every year, at least, you know, every year that it goes since diagnosis, since last treatment, the cost of these policies, the availability, it becomes so much more available um for, for the majority of the time um so it's always worthwhile if you've taken out insurance and you've had cancer in the past the premiums are increased and you are now a further time period since that diagnosis since the treatment there's been no recurrence it's always worth rechecking if there's something now out in the market that is going to be pricing better for you 
Yeah, I I would also say and add to that, Catherine, I, and I appreciate it, especially, <clears throat> sorry, teaching to suck eggs oh. here, but you will find that different insurers use different reinsurance manuals and different reinsurance manuals will treat some cancers in a different way. Absolutely. So, you know, anybody out there, you know, please talk to a, um, a, a an experienced uh, IFA uh, who deals with these things because they will find you the best deal in terms of premium yeah. um, and it is worth searching the market for because not a, not all insurers do the same thing for various tumors so okay so that was just adding to what you were saying of there. course absolutely um so if i if i just go through this pretty quickly um so yeah. stage one is, is um again just building a bit more detail about things we've already talked about but it's, it's confined to the ovary or ovaries or the fallopian tubes. Now, when I go through this staging, fallopian tubes will always be in there as well because the doctors treat it the same. Okay. okay. Um, so if you look at the subgrades, this is really kind of, not only goes through stage one subgrades because, uh, or substages, sorry, I should say, because it can get quite complicated. But for instance, and purely as an example, a stage one, one A is um, where only one ovary um, has been impacted and and it is confined within it okay, okay. so cancer hasn't spread out okay when cancer starts to spread the prognosis gets worse 1b is where both ovaries have been um, in, uh, impacted uh, but it's still confined within it yeah 1c is where one or both ovaries have been impacted but the cancer is sorry not but and the cancer is found on the outer surface of the ovary, but it hasn't gone further. So effectively, stage one is the is the um, the, the, the has the state that has the best prognosis, and therefore underwriting terms. Um, but the one A, one B, one C can impact it as well. Yeah. So my my advice to everybody is that if you know, as you said, Catherine, is that the if you can get hold of the histology report, either the client may have it, um, we sent it to them, to their, them by the, their doctor, then yeah. that is the key piece of information. And you'll find that that's the key piece of information in any claim for critical illness that ever comes up as well, is the actual histology report itself. Yes. That allows the underwriter to be much more precise in the way that they, they look at the case be precise in their rating absolutely and one thing i will say as well is that if you have any specialist letters at all that confirm the diagnosis also confirm the, the discharge from any kind mm -hmm. of um services that can immensely quicken up the ability to underwrite an application because some insurers can at times potentially accept that as yep their medical evidence instead of us having to go for the GP reports and everything. And I'm so conscious, Matt, that we've given ourselves a half hour deadline for this and we are, we're pushing it. So can yeah. I take you to the next bit a little bit then? So can, we, uh, can, we, can yeah. I just maybe just, I, I do appreciate, and by the way, it was me who um, put that in there. So, <laughs> so stage one, just, just going through and emphasizing what we've already said. So stage one, it's got a five year survival rate of 93%. So that's right. pretty good. That's, That's pretty good. brilliant. Stay, remember, we're talking four stages. Stage two, yeah. five-year survival rate of 74. Stage yeah. three, 41. And stage four, 31. Okay. Surgery is needed, is always uh, required. I say always. Fast amounts of cases always required for either, whether it's stage one, two, three, or four. 
Chemo is nearly always required for stage two, stage three, and stage four, and sometimes is required for even for stage one. So sometimes an underwriter will say, to try and get a feel for the case, what type of treatment did you have? Yes. Not particularly that useful for ovarian cancer. Okay. With yeah. colon cancer, for instance, which I know all about, you tend to it's all you tend to have chemo when it gets to stage three or four. Yes. Uh, so you can kind of judge where the staging is if the client doesn't know. So sorry, Catherine, I'll leave it at that. I just no, thought that the rates and that's really, really that really, really useful. And I think, you know, in terms of that's something that I learned as well, because, you know, when I first started out, you know, in, in advising, especially helping people with medical conditions, I didn't know huge amounts about everything. It's something that's been built up over years and everything. But one of the things I probably started out as an advisor is I didn't really know in a sense, the difference between chemotherapy and radiotherapy or what it kind of okay. signified in terms of which would be done more or first or as an alternative. You know, it was just one yeah. of those things because to me, it was like, oh, chemo, radiotherapy, I heard about that for cancer. Okay, that's done. But you do, as you say, from from the treatments and things, usually if it's chemotherapy, it's usually reached a stage where they're having to go to chemotherapy. Um, and, you know, it's 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 gone into a to the stronger, more uh, severe levels of the cancer. Um, so that is just the yeah. cancer is the cancer is spread or is yes. very high likelihood. So the chemotherapy, as you know, floats all around the body. Radiotherapy is very specific, yeah, and targeted, isn't it? I think quite abs abs absolutely. Um, I mean, chemotherapy is targeted, but it's designed to kill all cells floating wherever they are in the body. Radiotherapy yeah. much more at a particular point. Sorry, just, you know that anyway. That's fine. No, 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 absolutely. It's good for everybody who's listening. So um, are there any kind of linked conditions or specific long-term symptoms that if an advisor hears about it or maybe they should ask about? So I know with some conditions, the question sets that the insurers ask on their applications don't necessarily reflect all the things that they maybe would want to know from a GP report. So I tend to ask, you know, with certain conditions, some extra bits. Is there anything in terms of things like ovarian cancer that we should say, do you have you also experienced anything like this or anything like that or is it just the case of no we're just quite straightforward details of the cancer i think the um the, the key focus is really on the on the staging of the cancer yep. let's be honest about that um you've also obviously got the uh genetic link mutation link that I yep. think would, would maybe come into the background, which can impact other conditions, of course. Um, I'm very much focusing here on life insurance, by the way. If yeah, you yeah. income protection, then even if terms were available, then you'd be, I mean, hysterectomies, for instance, not you know, long-term side effects, maybe because of the surgery, yeah. uh, um, all types of uh, other issues kind of will come up with that for income protection. So, it's regard purely life insurance, then I would say really focus in on that staging. Okay. And what would you expect then for life insurance, Chris Close Cover and Income Protection? And I know that that's an incredibly yeah, broad right. statement yeah. because there's obviously three completely different products there. And obviously somebody who's had one ovary affected is very different to someone who's had stage four ovarian cancer. But, you know, are there certain kind of timeframes that you think, right, if you're going to apply for insurance and you've had ovarian cancer, you know, we'd expect probably that the insurers would want you to be at least generally would want you to be this long since surgery or since treatment? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think if you just um, trying to, for a practical terms, bring this back to what we were saying, if you've got a 93% um, chance of five years, 
um, with stage one, then stage one is far more likely to be um, acceptable earlier on yes. than stage two, three, and four. Maybe, well, certainly stage three and four. Um, so I, my due diligence, if you want, my research says that you can probably get cover within two to three years for a yeah. stage one, potentially stage two. That's what I mean about looking around. Um, but the premium will be pretty steep. You know, it'll be maybe £10 per £1,000 some assured for for five years or four years, something like that. Yeah. But as you quite really said, the longer you go post cessation of treatment, then the uh, the premium will come down. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, absolutely. Does that, does that actually help? Critical illness covers yeah. some will, depending on the staging, some will. Um, well, I'm not entirely convinced. Actually, we'll get an exclusion because, of course, the uh, the genetic component of this, 25% of ovarian cases, can lead to all types of uh, uh, issues. But maybe you get a cancer exclusion. Yes. So may, and I will say a big may. Income protection, you'd have to be uh, in very good form for a long period. Yeah. A very long period before you got income protection. Absolutely. And when we talk about this as well, sorry, I'm just going to cough. There we go. That's the call for you. I've managed this song. I've done well. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, we've got the fact that, um, uh, sorry, I'll go, go off a bit of a tangent there. My mind's just sort of doing a bit of a blank. Um, so um, in terms of the family medical history, because I know we said the genetic components and everything as well. Oh, that was what I was going to say. So in terms of the cancer, it's really important as well to just be very clear that if you were going to have a cancer exclusion, just really be mindful of the exclusion that could be there. Because, you know, we're not just saying it's 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 not necessarily going to be an ovarian cancer exclusion or cancers of using the term I used, the cancers down there would not necessarily just be excluded. It could be the full cancer exclusion. So it's just you'd still be covered for many, many situations. But it's just making sure that you're very aware of that. And, and the other thing I was going to say as well is that when we're talking about this for all these policies, we are talking about personal policies. So that's ones where you arrange them yourself, you pay for them yourself. There are sometimes other options and other possibilities and um, that can be looked at at times. But for the majority of people, they will probably look at the personal options. So I've got a quick case study to give because I know that people do like the case studies as well. So we did have a client and she was in her early 40s and she'd had ovarian cancer six years prior to the app. So that goes back to when we were talking about the average ages of usually around the age of 50. This person was much younger than that. She'd had a cyst removed and it had been confirmed as stage 1A ovarian cancer and there hadn't been any spread to anywhere nearby. And she'd had a full hysterectomy just as a case of let's, you know, as a just in case everything was going to be removed. That was the decision from her medical professionals. So in terms of her options, I say it was six years prior to our application. We arranged for her for her mortgage, decreasing life insurance of £185,000 over 27 years for a little bit under £13 per month. So when we are talking about sometimes these things of premium increases, it's it's really worth noting. And, and a premium increase is never nice. And it's not something that I say, oh, well, it's only increased by this much. So why are you why are you not why are you bother about that? That's never the case. But I think what people do need to know and sometimes when you hear premium increase, it can scare you off even taking that first step to even ask what the price would be. And so like with this one, as you can see, somebody did have ovarian cancer and it's that that life insurance is just under £13 per month. So life insurance generally for a lot of people is priced incredibly cheaply. So when we do talk about the premium increases, it's not necessarily that they are going to be silly amounts. 
it's it's never nice to have a premium increase. I certainly wouldn't say that. You know, I've, I've previously had my premiums increase myself for my health, and it's it isn't pleasant. But when we think of these things, when we think of these increases on the life insurance side, it really isn't often anywhere near what people think it's going to be. So there we go, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, as always, for your insights, Matt. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website too, thanks to our sponsors, the Octa members. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.